the den. So go tell a friend. The best podcast on earth is about to begin. We got jokes and news and movie reviews. After dark, NC-17 with the crew. Interviews with the best artists around. So like, comment, subscribe. The show start right now. Let's go. Like, comment, subscribe. The show start right now. Welcome to Down in the Den. It's your host, Mars, and thank you so much for joining us on today's episode. Today, I'm very excited. We've been doing a series talking about purpose, talking about race relations, and I have the perfect guest, Mr. Kevin Huffman. Kevin, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much for carving out some of your time to share your expertise with the denmates. I truly appreciate it. No problem. So before we even begin and before we dig into this, I always say every hero has its origin story. It could be a radioactive bug bite. It could be enhanced by gamma rays or it could be trauma. In real life, it seems like it's always some type of trauma that brings us to the next level. Please tell the denmates who aren't familiar with your book, who aren't familiar with your lectures, a little bit of your origin story and how Kevin Hoffman became Kevin Hoffman. Yeah, man, that's a great question. Great introduction, too. I mean, that's, I like that a lot. Um, and remind me, because I could bring that back around, the whole superhero thing. So if I don't, remind me. Um, so I was born in the summer of 1967, so 54 years ago, two weeks after the riots in Detroit. So born into Detroit, the result of an affair between a white woman and black man um, they were happily married just to two different people. Oh. Um, and so at my, my biological, my biological mother is white. Biological father is black. Uh, my biological mother's husband was white. And so it was his, uh, it was at his insistence that she put me up for adoption immediately. So then I was adopted. I went to foster care for three months and then was adopted by a white minister, his wife, and their three biological children. Um, I am the youngest in that family as well. And at that time, they lived in Dearborn, a suburb of Detroit. Very white, happy to be white suburb of Detroit. Um, and we were, I moved in with them when I was three months old in 1967. In the summer of 1968, we woke up to a cross burning in our front yard. Um, that began a very contentious <laughs> time for our family living in this white community that didn't want any color. And so after trying to put up with that for three years, we left, moved to Detroit. And uh, we moved, my father was a minister. So we moved, he took a call to pastor a church in Detroit. Um, and the parsonage or the home owned by the church was in a black neighborhood. So from age three to 18, I was always around kids that looked like me. And uh, yeah, today I say, I was so fortunate that early on I had exposure to my tribe, people that looked like me. Right. And they became my superheroes. I mean, I wanted to be like them. I felt bad for my brothers, white brothers and sister, because they weren't black. Um, because I really, man, at three years old, when I moved into that black neighborhood, there was this feeling of home. Um, and I've always had that and been so thankful 
that I've had that. So now I can move into in between those two communities pretty easily. And and home and community are so important. Uh, so many people don't realize it because we take it for granted. Those who like myself, I come from a two parent household. Uh, I live. I wouldn't take my childhood back for anything. I live as close to the Cosby life without the money of the Cosby. The parents were doctors and lawyers, but other than that, it was a great life. So one of the reasons I started this program were to reach out to others and and to learn their backgrounds and share it with the inmates because it is about home and it is about community. Now, I do have a good friend of mine who was adopted and I always ask, were you ever curious or have you ever met your biological family? Yeah, always curious, always thought about it. Um, oh, and the tie-in with the superheroes is, which meant a lot to me as an adoptee growing up, someone had pointed out that Batman, Spider-Man, Superman were all orphans slash, you know, you know, uh, Spider-Man, you know, Uncle Ben gets killed. Right. <laughs> you know, Superman, he gets sent Old away. Planet from gets planet. killed. Yeah, right. so he was in a sense adopted. So someone told me that years ago, and that was just so, so comforting to me as an adoptee that, you know, Stan Lee had enough sense to kind of put write that into a lot of his superheroes. It's and then big, not only Stan Lee, but other guys too. And, uh, sure, sure, sure. Stan Lee, I, normally I, I, I used to have a Stan Lee painting back there because okay. as I mentioned before, I'm a huge, he's my hero, huge comic. And, and he was ahead of his time, you know, in the 50s oh, and 60s, yeah. he was talking about, using allegories and X-Men to talk about, you know, racism and homosexuality. So yeah, Stanley's a huge hero, hero of mine. Now, obviously you have a unique background. Uh, You were raised by a Caucasian family in a black neighborhood. And Detroit's pretty black now. I can only imagine in the 60s, 70s, probably even more black. Right, yeah, it was. I would imagine. So having that unique upbringing, it's very interesting to me that you actually said you felt sorry for your full Caucasian siblings who didn't have that experience. So so tell me, I, that had to have some inspiration on your book, Growing Up in Black. Tell us how that factored in to not only your life, but inspiring your book. Yeah, so... You know, back in the early 70s, there was a group, the National Association of Black Social Workers. They came out and they called adoptions like mine, which are called transracial adoptions, adoptions, you know, a a white family adopts a black child across races. So um, I was transracially adopted. The National Association of Black Social Workers in 1972 came out and called transracial adoption genocide because they felt there was and it was this huge push especially by white Christians in the late 60s, early 70s, to adopt children of color. Um, And the concern with the Black community and the National Association of Black Social Workers was, you're taking this child out of our community and you have no idea how to raise them to keep them in touch with their culture. And so I got it. I was like, yeah, you're right. I was so fortunate that my mother and father understood that Black culture was important, that I needed to have representation of other people and so that I would grow up and you know I had the beauty of having black in all hues so I had good black friends and bad black friends smart black friends not so smart black friends 
And so I was just so fortunate to grow up not thinking or relying on images and media and on TV of telling me what Black was. Um, and so the concern that the National Association of Black Social Workers had was that we would not be able to gain some a good, strong, confident sense of who we were. I reflect back on that and think, man, I felt bad for my white brothers and sisters because they weren't black. That's a pretty healthy racial identity. Um, I, like I, I said, just really gravitated to the black community and felt a privilege every morning to get up and put on this uniform. And I understood at an early age, yeah, things were mounted against us, but it didn't matter because it was the team I was going to ride or die. I was very comfortable in the, on that team. Well, salute to your mom and dad for instilling that. That yeah. is something my brother was a, a social worker for 20 plus years before he passed away. And I had never heard of that, but it makes perfect sense as being, I would probably say a valid concern because I'm yeah. certain, oh, yeah. you yeah. know, we, we obviously, you know, Madonna has, you know, the rainbow coalition going exactly. on right. in her house. And I always yeah. wondered, yeah. but not only, racial identity, but also when you have a certain level of wealth, it's, it's kind of hard to have a, a real sense of reality. So my next question is somewhat of a two-part question. Obviously, you have a unique perspective on race, and many will say racism is as American as apple pie. Um, where do you think right now, because I, I'm 40, I'm, I'm 40 years old, so first president I remember was Ronald Reagan, um, and then we have uh, George Bush, and then we have a skew of Democrats. And then it seems like the country goes back and forth. We yeah. make some progress. Everybody gets scared. We take a step back. We make some progress. Everyone gets scared. We take a step back. Where do you think we are right now as a country when it comes to race relations? And how do we get better? Or is it even a possibility that we can get better? Yeah, you're right. It's cyclical. So we go back and forth. Um, this will shock some. Yeah. This has been the worst that race relations has been since I've been alive and I've been alive 40, 52, 54 years. But the hope in that is, I think last year, we will look back on last year, just like we look back on the late 60s and the civil rights movement. And we'll be able to point to March of 2021 and go, this is where real change happened because we were all sequestered inside and a lot of people who wouldn't normally watch that horrible visit video of George Floyd watched it. And it was because of that that we gained a whole lot more people that understood what we've been crying and complaining and just crying out loud about for the last several decades. We weren't making it up. Like so We needed it sounds crazy to say, but we needed an example like George Floyd that was so extreme. Yeah, for someone to be kneeling on someone's neck for nine minutes, your average person can say, that's just ridiculous. That's way over the top. You needed something so far over the top to pull more people into this fight and say, yeah, we got to change things. So, yeah, in my 52 years, I've seen Rodney King. I've seen, you know, the Ferguson riots the Watts riots, all these riots. Um, and I, and they've all, actually, it's interesting. They all kind of center around the same thing. The black community and police brutality is pretty much when, when we say we've had enough. Right. Um, and 
yeah, I think the interesting thing with last year was I've never seen this before, which was I saw mayors, I saw police chiefs, I saw congressmen and women stand up and say, this police officer was wrong. And I've never seen that. The blue line is so strong. Prosecutors, city officials, people in Congress, they all stand behind those guys, you know? Right. Last year, I think a lot of people said enough is enough. And so we've got to take that momentum and create change. And I think we will. We just got to stay committed to it. I, I agree wholeheartedly. We have another show that we do. We partner with a charitable organization called CUSP. Um, and we have another show on the network that we do called Politics as Usual. And we had a whole special on the George Floyd and one year anniversary. And of course, Chauvin. And I agree. You're, you're absolutely right. We not only saw people that looked like you and I, but we saw people across the world and Paris and London and all over the world standing up. And it's a shame that it had to be something so heinous for yeah. people to say, well, we can't excuse that. Because I find with people of color, we rarely get the benefit of the doubt. We have a strike. Well, what did he do? What did he say? Oh, yeah. Did yeah. he have something on him? Did it, 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 it was like, no, we're not monolith. We're not all Tupac. Yeah. Some of us are just comic book geeks like myself. I don't have you anything know? on me. So yeah. it, it you hit it right on the head. Going back to comic books, I had a theory that I talked about on the other show, and I call it the Black Panther effect. 2018 Marvel released Black Panther, one of the first major big budget, all black. I mean, all black down to the design people. Yeah. The culture was represented. People of all shades and hues were represented. And Hollywood and the world noticed, oh, wow, we can make money off of that. A lot of money, yeah. And then I've noticed that we're now we have a Marvel's releasing a movie on September 3rd with all Asian cast. Yeah. We see a lot of the major companies putting support for Black Lives Matter. And while it warms my heart, a part of me thinks, is this because they can see money can be oh, made? Yeah. So I call it the Black Panther effect because after Black Panther, we saw all these programs, all these movies, green light, green light, everything yeah. got the green light. Do you believe uh, that the corporations all of a sudden had this change of heart or do you think they see the profit in inclusion? Because inclusion oh, yeah. is yeah. very, very valuable. What, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, that, that's what it is. Like when I, I do a lot of work with schools and organizations, that's one of the first things I say to organizations is you really want to expand who you can touch, then diversify. We become more diverse. Then you've got people who can advise you. Like there is no excuse for some of the ads we've seen in the last couple of years. Um, was it Gucci who had the turtleneck that you would flip up? And it had like big red lips. I mean, it just looked like a minstrel outfit. Absolutely. You can't convince me that there weren't people of color, that there were people of color in that room making the decision to put that out on the market. And that's what diversity does. Like, I have a saying that says, you know, we all see the world from different angles, but that just protects us from our blind sides. So, yeah, I can see things as a black man that you that as a white person they might not even see coming but there's protection in that so ads would like gucci put out would never make it to the market because your diverse group of people would say yeah that's not no not a good idea and so yeah companies are seeing that 
it, it's it actually is surprising that it's taking them this long. Like, yeah, if you want to gain more of a market share, then you've got to, you know, send your product out to more different people. Like that just makes sense. That's just business one on one. It's a no brainer. You're you're right. It, it's really a, a no brainer. You want to expand to as big an audience as possible. So let's represent as big as audience as possible. It, it, you're absolutely right. And, and, and black and Americans are one of the biggest consumers. <laughs> like, yeah, it, it, It's one of the reasons wealth doesn't stay in the community because we get exactly. it and, and we spit it out as yeah. soon as possible. Yeah. And it's funny that you mentioned that because even when I was a young child, I used to ask my mom, why are the McDonald's commercials on BET different from the McDonald's commercials on ABC? <laughs> exactly. I, it would always be like, I love McDonald's new fried chicken sandwich, but then on BET it was someone rapping or singing or playing basketball. And I used to always wonder, and I almost went into marketing because it just, it's very intriguing what cap, you know, corporations think of us. So that, that's very intriguing to me. Now, um, one thing that we've been talking about and we've doing this series, we've, we've had a little bit on mental health. And one of the things that in the work you do and in your book and in your speech, one thing that you talk about and really what I wanted to talk about today is purpose, because I feel one of the key elements to true happiness in life is finding some type of purpose. And you have a term that you use a lot called abandoned purpose. Tell us a little bit about, tell the inmates a little bit about your views on purpose and then your, your, your term abandoned purpose and how that impacts us as a people. Yes. Yeah, so... Part of the story I didn't tell you was when my mother found out she was pregnant, she kind of freaked out, ran to her sister who lived nearby and uh, asked for a loan. And the loan was to go up to my mother lived in the Plymouth Canton area just outside Detroit. And her plan was to to leave her sister's apartment or it was actually a mobile home to leave her mobile home if she got the loan. And she was just she was going to travel an hour away to Flint and have me aboard it. Um, my aunt, my aunt Nancy, shared this with me that she actually gave my mother the money to have me aborted. And my mother left her house with every intention to have an abortion. And somewhere between, you know, the Detroit area and Flint, about an hour away, my mother changed her mind, went back home, chose to tell her white husband that not only did she have an affair, but that she was pregnant. And not only was she pregnant, but she was pregnant by a black man. In the late 60s, when, quite honestly, he could have beat the mess out of her and the police probably wouldn't have showed up. Um, Joined him. Yeah, right. So with that comes my purpose, which, man, it took me this long to figure that out. But it, it is. I've always had this desire to I've always enjoyed talking about the differences in races and cultures. Um and so I do a lot of training in that, which I enjoy. But I also some people can be so uncomfortable talking about that. Um, and so that also led me. I was like, yeah, I'm kind of different in that way than a lot of people where, man, I could sit down for hours and go. Yeah. And this is in our community. This is what we do. And when we go to the barbershop, this is what we talk about. Or the barbershop is our safe place. You know, that's where we as black men can just let it go. Right. Because we have we have people who hear and understand our experience. Um, so because I was born from this black white woman, black man, man, my purpose has always been 
what can we do to reconcile the races that I'm made up of? And so that's why I spend what I, the majority of my time trying to work with organizations and schools. And one of the things I say is, and when I go into organizations or schools, I say, here's, here's kind of the complex you know, challenge we have in front of us. We've got to find a way or, yeah, we have to find a way uh, to create an environment where the guy with the Black Lives Matter t-shirt and the guy with the Make America Great Again hat can coexist. That's our challenge. And we've got to figure it out somehow. Absolutely. And it's a hell of a challenge, but it's something that definitely can be done. And it can be done with people like you going out, continuing to spread that message, educate, educate, educate. So I thank you so much, Kevin. Uh, and let me, yes, I, the whole abandoned purpose that came up. Uh, I was working. I have a coach that helps me with speaking and stuff. So I was working with him and we were going through this speech and I, and the comment I made was oftentimes we will try to abandon our purpose, but you can't like, it's, it's going to happen regardless of what you do. You know, the, the, the smarter ones of us figure that out and we go with it. Sometimes we push up against it and that just causes, you know, a longer journey. Um, and so, yeah, there's a speech I do called abandoned purpose, which is, yeah, my mother had every intention to kill my purpose, but for some reason, she couldn't because that purpose is here for a reason. There's no, no matter what you do, you can't squash someone's purpose. I'm a firm believer in destiny and that every single soul, even if it's just the, you know, people say, well, what was George Floyd message, uh, purpose? He's going to change the world. Yeah. Like his daughter, his daughter said that, which is so interesting. My daddy would change the world. Yes, he's he going to change, he's going to change the world. So everybody, no matter how we feel, they may be insignificant to society or no matter how big they are, everyone has a purpose. Some good, some bad, but everyone has a purpose. So I am very, very grateful for not only you giving us your expertise, but sharing your story with us. It's an incredible story. Kevin, we're almost done here, but what I would like for you to do is tell the Denmates where they can find you, your website, and all of your social media details, because we want to make sure that all of the Denmates are checking you out and checking out what a great job you're doing for the community. So we appreciate that. The floor is yours. Let everyone know where they can find you. Yeah, so you can find me under my name. The spelling is a little different. So it's Kevin, and the last name is Hoffman, H-O-F-M-A-N-N. So KevinHoffman.com. Or if it's easier for you, you can go to the name of my book, which is GrowingUpBlackInWhite.com. It'll get you to the same website, but there's, you know, you can buy my book there. There's T-shirts that I have. Examples of speeches and presentations I've done. Um, and then my social media is just Kevin Clusion. So it's K E V I N C L U S I O N. Awesome, awesome. And we'll put with the with the magic of special effects, we'll put all of those details where this airs. Uh Kevin, thank you so much. Your story is amazing. You indeed are another superhero. You're out there doing the good fight, doing the good work. So we appreciate you guys. Uh, appreciate you for sharing your story. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. Uh, please check out Kevin's website. Once again, we'll put that all in the details. So guys, check out. He has amazing views. He's doing good work. There's booking information, merch, everything. Support, support, support. That's how we grow as a community. Kevin, you get the Denmate stamp. It's something we do here. We do an official stamp, which means 
you've been inducted to the family. It's no way you can get out. We're kind of like the Bob. So we're going to be promoting you, you know, always, whenever you have some new stuff, we'll make sure we get out there. And if you have anything else that you'd like to promote, or if you just want to chat, feel free to check us out. And we'll be more than happy to get you on. But Kevin, once again, thank you so much for joining us. Guys, today has been another fantastic episode. Please check out Kevin's uh, page. Support, support, support. And as always, deuces.